Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. the gates and ready to go outkick 360 underway friday edition is here we made it glad you're with us across the outkick network dr david chow pro football doc outkick contributor he'll be with us to discuss injuries going into super bowl uh 57 and and everything involved with the recovery process for patrick mahomes for Jalen Hurts, Lane Johnson, concussions are up across the league according to what the league has put out on injuries today. We'll get all the details there with Dr. Chow. That's coming up in hour number two. We also have John McClain from gallerysports.com. We'll preview all of the big Super Bowl headlines going into next week, but also dive deep into what are the Cardinals doing? Kyler Murray seems to be an issue for coaches or possible coaches that they may be looking at and we'll turn attention to Indianapolis plus John will give perspective on reaction to the week of the other hires including right there where he is in Houston with D'Amico Ryans and the Texans and Stephanie Odie Big Ten Network reporter she joins us in hour number three Jet good afternoon good afternoon Hutton I'm excited that we made it to Friday we I did. say it every Friday, every you, single week, people want to doubt us. They want to come in here on a Monday. two viruses this week. I survived two vi- <laughs> Two viruses weren't going to stop. Maybe a third right now. I'm, I'm coughing now, which is new. Um, every, every day is a different challenge. And every week, we start the week, and all of you haters out there, the internet hates everything, and certainly you hate us. You start the week by saying, we're not going to finish the week. We're not going to close strong. And yet every week, here we are on a Friday, Ready to close out the week with three strong hours. We got a strong guest list today. We are fired up and ready to end this week in style. That's right. Uh, you and I don't need intervention. With I don't our think relationship. so. I don't think so. Right? I don't, don't think so. We don't have to go to counseling. The thing like about we're, intervention, we're though, is with, uh, Nance and Romo. You don't know you need intervention until you just walk into a room yeah. and all your friends and family are sitting around a couch. But to my knowledge, we don't need an intervention, but someone did. Well, CBS is trying to uh, intervene with Tony Romo, reports from Andrew Marshan. And, uh, I mean, to me, they're going right down the path that we saw with Nance and, and Phil Sims, going in the opposite direction of, of the broadcast booth. And CBS is trying to save it by getting him to prepare more. Um, uh, to me, this, is, uh, this goes back and ties back to his $18 million contract when Nance was making just under $7 million. And there were reports that he was disgruntled about that. And what would be the process moving forward? They bumped him up in pay, but the reports are it wasn't close. It doesn't come close to what Romo has. So, you know, do you look at it the same way? I think that's where we started to see the crack in the foundation, not with his study habits or anything else that may be uh, perceived as Romo being lazy. Well, I think the the... the, the problem quite frankly is the money i think tony romo i forget who we had on maybe it was bobby carpenter or mm-hmm. no dan Dockich. one of the two said and i'm starting to believe more and more of this tony romo got paid and didn't care as much anymore he got his big contract after three strong years and he's been worse since then i've been saying this all season uh, clearly 
And again, the internet hates everything, so we have to put that addendum out there. But people aren't happy with Tony Romo, and they love Tony Romo early on. He has changed this season. There's more talkativeness with him at times. Uh, There's clearly less preparation at times. He's butchering names. Um, There are things that he's mixing up that he didn't mix up early on. This could simply be a case of he got the bag and he stopped working as hard. Well, he's already had the bag. He's made $130 million in his football career. Yeah, he got the bag as a broadcaster, I'm saying, and stopped working as hard. But, I mean, he's already got – if you're saying he got lazy after getting the money, um, I mean, he was – he got the raise for doing things very well that Nance signed off on. And they made the and switch. And he stopped the doing those things. So I'm trying to figure out why those things changed. Because I I'm clearly not a, the only one that believes the guy hasn't changed. I think you seem some, to be on an island that he's not changed at all. No, I, I think he's changed. I don't think it's because of the money. Again, if it's because of the money, why does he have to work well, so hard to begin whatever with? Because the he got 130 is, million dollars from his Cowboys career. He got a big check and a big contract. He now makes one million dollars per game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the money or if it's the status or if it's that him and Jim Nance started fighting because of the money. But he's not been the same since then. Um, imagine making $1 million per game and having to have your bosses come to your house multiple times to meet with you on what is being deemed an intervention. Now, the story from Andrew Marshan says intervention. Right. To be fair, CBS execs have refuted that and said no. That's an extreme exaggeration to say it's an intervention. They said we meet with our talent every year about different things. Now, they didn't refute that they talked to Tony Romo about things he needed to work on or things he needed to change. Hutton, I'm going to, if there's a... If, if Jim Nance were happy, I don't think they talked to him. It, it, yes. And if there is a squabble between the two... That's my point. If there's a rip in the relationship, I'm going to side with Nance based on he knows more about broadcasting and what should be done. And he had no issue with Tony Romo early on. He wanted him right. to be his partner. So if something's happened... It could be two, right? It could be what you're saying. Part of it is the personal, that he got paid more, that hurt Nance to some well, way, hurt his ego, well, and, and that, that, that ruptured, that ruptured their part one. of it. Marshan also points out that you know it's Nance that goes down for the trophy presentation. It's not Tracy Wolfson up there for the trophy presentation. Yeah. So when it's not about Nance and it's about Romo, and then Romo gets the bag, and you, you're perceived as changing... I don't think CBS meets with Romo without Nance being disgruntled, even after Nance got paid again. I think both are true. I think you're probably right that Nance is disgruntled because he's getting paid more. I think Jim Nance being Jim Nance, very nice guy from all accounts, probably has a huge ego. Great at what he does. Yeah, I mean, great at what he does and probably he's got a big ego and probably doesn't like not even sharing the spotlight but giving up the spotlight to Tony Romo. I think Tony Romo's gotten worse, too. And look, I don't know that it's just because he's richer than he was rich before now with this contract or what the deal is, but he can control his performance on the games, and I don't think his performance has been as good. I don't think it's terrible. I don't think he woke up and just decided, I'm not going to work at all anymore. And then you know he completely fell off the map. I just think it's different and worse compared to where he was. And after a year or two on the job, I really thought, if this guy is this good now, he's only going to get better and better and prepare more and learn how to prepare more and go in the other direction. To me, he's gone south well, since that contract. And maybe it is in part I, because of Jim Nance. Well, so for me, it's got to come down to that relationship because they've got the Super Bowl next year. Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Uh, you're paying him $18 million. 
based on his contract, you're having him a part of your Super Bowl team on your broadcast roster, right? Nance is calling the game. So even if you made a change based on Nance's feelings or whatever's going on behind the scenes, you've got to make sure that the two can get along for another year because you want that booth based on the money and what you've allocated to that, that crew. Um, that's not to mean you can't add someone else there, but based on the schedule, you want to make sure that you're ready to rock and roll with your top dollar analysts. And Romo's that guy. So I think they're just trying to make sure. They're, they're, I don't think it's intervention. I think of it as mediation. That's the way I perceive this. Uh, here is Colin Cowherd's thoughts on the perception of Romo behind the scenes. When I would interview people and I was going to hire them, if I had lunch or coffee with them, I always asked them if they loved golf. Oh, I love golf. Do you love golf? And if they said yes, I wouldn't hire them. Because I always had this theory that as guys age, many of them get addicted to golf. They're on PGATour.com. They're putting in the backyard. They're thinking about it at work. They're scheduling a trip to Scotland. And they, they lose sight of their other job. Romo wants to be on the tour. He literally wants to be on the tour. I mean, what's the first thing Aaron Rodgers does in the offseason? He goes and golfs. He loves it. Both, by the way, great golfers, especially Romo. But I've always felt like Tony Romo is one of those guys, and we all have somebody in our social circle like this. They got the golf bug. He's had it for 15 years. Tony wants to be on the PGA Tour, but he likes the paycheck at CBS. Golf has nothing to do with this. Well, you know Jim, who else loves go Jim golf? Nance. Jim Nance. Jim Nance loves golf and loves to play golf. Uh, Interesting take from uh, from from Colin Coward. I, I look. I don't think that he's wrong. There's a lot of older guys who become obsessed with golf, and golf takes away a lot of their you know free time. And if your hiring practices are, if you like golf, I'm not going to hire you. I mean, that's interesting. Uh, I don't know that I agree with it. You could say the same about someone that has kids. If that's going to take up a lot of their free time, or they're thinking about their kids a lot. So, are you also going to say? I ask. Hey, are you? You married? You have kids? Well, if so, then I'm not going to hire you because clearly that's going to take up too much of your mind space to work for me. So I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, he loved golf when he took the job and he was great in the first three years and he played a lot of golf then. Jim Nance has always played a lot of golf. He's got a golf hole in his home. So that's not affected his work. Um, they need to get to the bottom of what's affecting the work more than anything else. Jim Nance and Tony Romo could have issues with each other personally, or their ego could be bruised, and they could still do a really good broadcast together. That's not happening as much. And you got to diagnose if it's Tony Romo, you know, deciding to talk longer and over Jim Nance because he knows Jim Nance hates it and he wants to get under his skin even more, or if Jim Nance is just being too touchy and sensitive about things with Romo and that's negatively Maybe. impacting his performance. But they need to figure it out. CBS has the Super Bowl next year. Yeah. So this is going to be in the spotlight now as you well, get ready for that CBS Super Bowl. He's not doing the uh, – they're lining up in this. They're checking to this. He's not doing that nearly as much. Yeah. So to me, that's also a directive. And maybe he's overcompensating in other ways based on the broadcast because he's not spouting that off as much as he has been. Some people don't like the yelling, uh, you know, the, the screaming. I, to each his own on that. Uh, this is not anywhere close to what we saw from Monday Night Football prior to the Aikman and uh, Troy, uh, the, the Joe Buck. Um, I have booth. no issue with his enthusiasm. I've always liked that as kind of that's a counter. That's a huge to, negative, to, though, for people. Yeah, to some people it is. Um, that, that's not my issue with him. It's more 
the length of not knowing how long to talk exactly and then just not being as detailed, not even with calling plays or telling yeah. the future. It's more post-play analysis. I, I use the example of Greg Olson uh, on Fox. I thought he was terrific in that NFC Championship in a really bad game of explaining some principles of the RPO to viewers that it was very easy to understand whether you've played football or not. I thought he was excellent at that. That's what Tony Romo was early on. He's been less and less of that. The enthusiasm, Hutton, I think is actually a great counterbalance to Jim Nance more voice as smooth as Rich Mahogany. Yeah. Very, you know, not monotone, but like easy, low blood pressure, delivery, professional. I think having that level of enthusiasm with Romo is a nice balance to that. So I've got no issue with the enthusiasm. Now, the, the next guy waiting in the wings now that is now a part of the CBS roster is Charles Davis. And to me, that is the next move if it continues past Super Bowl 58 next year. Like, that's the climb up. And then you still have Iron Eagle um, paired with Romo, potentially. Or Romo goes and plays golf, like Coward's saying. He's, I'll tell he's you, on the tour. One thing we know about Charles Davis, knowing, knowing him a bit, he will have no problem getting along with anyone. Right. Regardless of what anyone thinks about him as a broadcaster, and I think he's great. Unless I think he gets most paid people $20 million, like him. and then Nance won't like him. Yeah, and, and, but it's not going to be on him. I'm saying he's right. going to have nothing to do with someone not liking him with his personality. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Chad, how does this happen? Carol Lawson says that a men's basketball was used during the first half of the Duke-Florida State game. How does it go on for the first half of play? Two quarters of play. Well, and, and, and Carol Lawson, you know, blamed it on, well, it's because it's women's sports. This never would have happened to the men. I say to Carol Lawson, I mean, it wouldn't have happened to the men because a man would have shot the first shot over the backboard and then gone to the ref and said, hey, this is a women's ball that we're playing with. Let's change it out. Not even the first shot, like dribble, like just... What's going on? No, it's from very. The tip. It's a very strange story. How to does me, the official go with? The, how does the official not know that they're the first one to bring the ball out? I mean, so many things here. Yeah. And, um, to be fair, Carol Lawson says in her diatribe about <laughs> this wouldn't have happened in a men's game about having played with the opposite sex's ball for right, a half. Right. She said, "My players were complaining about it during the first half." Well, did you not think during a timeout, maybe the first TV timeout, to go take the ball? to the official or have your assistant do that and say something's wrong with the ball. Oh, it's, it's a men's ball because at halftime, her assistant went and said, let me feel the ball. Our players are complaining. Oh, it's a men's ball. Let's change it out. Was that the entire rack? You know what I mean? Like, I, how do you not just go check? Uh, again, it's my mind is weird. blown that this, this could even happen. Um, so the ACC comes back <laughs> and says the new protocol is, We'll go to each team's captains and let them agree on the ball before the game. Hutton, this happened in the late 90s in high school basketball in Tennessee. I was a captain I, on my high school team, and you went to midcourt, and the ref would throw the ball to you, to each team, and you could toss it back, and then you'd be like, okay, you yeah, sure, fine. Because, yeah. I mean, it, it was more of a, now, I don't think they're messing up the men's and women's ball, but it'd be more of, is it too slick? You know, is it too bouncy? You can yeah. dribble it once. Do you, are you okay with this? Overinflated. Home what, team yeah. provides the basketball. It's a Florida State error to begin with, but it's an error on both teams to allow it to continue for a half. That's ridiculous. And it, it, the complaining didn't warrant some look at it from the official. Again, the whole thing is bizarre. It's one thing to argue a you know a, a foul, you yeah. know, but like hey. 
the, the, that's a, we're getting complaints that that's a men's basketball. At that point, you have to at least go check it, right? You just want like, oh, stop complaining. Well, Carol Lawson's a smart person. Yes. Very smart. And yes. um, I think she's done a good job at Duke. I think she'll do a good job wherever she goes to coach. And I, I think Carol Lawson could coach the men's game and be fine also. I'm, I'm on record saying that. Um, she's pinning – she's going too far to make this an issue over the divide between men's and women's basketball and not really – pointing to the biggest issue, which is twofold. One, Florida State screwed this up royally. And, they lost. and whoever the Duke Florida lost. State head coach is, the athletic director, they need to step up and take the blame on that. It's their fault. And also, you. It's your team complaining about it. Take it to the next level. If there's something that wrong with the basketball, you've got to go to the officials and tell them. They were 7 of 34 from di- the field. diagnose this quicker. Instead, 16th ranked Duke goes on the road to Florida State and loses, probably in large part because they played with the wrong basketball yes. for an entire they lost half. lost by 13 points. They made seven shots in the first half. Uh, speaking of Duke, Duke, North Carolina, tomorrow evening, 5.30 Central, 6.30 Eastern, tip-off on ESPN. Doesn't have the same feel around this. Unranked, the vibe with the, the coaches, uh, the, the preview. It's a rivalry matchup that I'm always going to check in on. This, though, is not appointment viewing. And it, I guess you could argue it hasn't been for a couple of seasons, but especially now with, if you look at the top 10 rankings, I mean, the brands that are representing college basketball right now, you look, it, it feels as though you're looking at a completely different sport. And case in point is Duke, North Carolina tomorrow night, where, I mean, had we not seen the, the television schedule, I don't know that I would have known that Carolina Duke was going on and in a typical year, Chad, ESPN is pouring this in. Duke, Carolina. They're, you know, they're having special oh, yeah. uh, lead-ins to SportsCenter based on the rivalry matchup. That's not the case now. Well, you look at the top four right now in college basketball, and it's Purdue, who's been terrific all year, only one loss. Zach Odie, one of the great talents, seven foot five. Um, number two is Tennessee. Number three is Houston. Number four is Alabama. That kind of tells you about yeah. Those aren't four schools. Those are good basketball programs, don't get me wrong, but those aren't blue bloods that we're talking about in the top four. So that's a bit of a surprise. North Carolina is the most disappointing in this equation. Hubert Davis is back. They went all the way to the national championship game a year ago. They were preseason number one in the country. They've been terribly disappointing. I was not overly impressed with John Shire when he had to fill in for Mike Krzyzewski a year ago. Mm-hmm. Now, a year ago when these two teams met, well, the last time was in the Final Four, which was terrific. The time before that, remember, was Coach K sendoff yep. at Cameron, and North Carolina spoiled that with the win. So very, very epic in scope, those games. Mm-hmm. I'm with you that this one is a big thud right now with two unranked teams and John Shire in his first year. I mean, I guess the storyline is now Shire as the head coach gets to step into the shadow of Coach K and start his leg of this journey of this great tobacco road rivalry. I'm just not that excited about it. They're really this needs a little spice to it. Yeah, they're coaches need to come. We need a Pitt Duke uh, Carolina you know feel to this. We need yeah. Duke Carolina the way we had Carolina Pitt earlier and look, this week. Maybe something comes out of this game where maybe. it's great. Who can they troll? Fight. Who can Carolina troll? You know, uh, you know, it'd be best for this rivalry if Hubert Davis and John Shire squared off at some point. <laughs> 
or had words. I'm not talking something, about a fist fight. Just something, yeah. But like one of those Coach K, Dean Smith moments where yes. they're in each other's faces. And you, and then that sparks the rivalry where there's legitimate tension yeah. between the coaches also. And that's organic. That's organic. And that will happen based on the, the rivalry itself with Tobacco Road. But, I mean, it's lacking that right now. And it's still something that – like I'm still going to check on the score, right? And if it's on, I'll stop by and see what's going on. But it's not the same vibe you mentioned last year. Last year was totally, totally perfect, different. perfect. But like in past years, even when it's been down, one team's been down or not, you're still tuned in to watch, you know, the mayhem, which could ensue. And normally, you're seeing a a, a very tight game or a potential upset. Look, I'll be paying attention. It's Duke, North Carolina, but it's not nearly the interest because you've got two unranked teams, two first-year coaches to watch. You're seeing one right now in John Shire, and we'll be talking about him in this game tomorrow. Disappointing first year with Duke with a lot of young talent. The recruiting is not going to stop. They're going to continue to be very talented. So he's going to have good basketball teams. He's going to have a chance to figure this out as he goes. Still a very young head coach. This is not me turning the page, or this is not my Nathaniel Hackett moment with John Shire or anything. I'm not saying he's a failed coach or any of that. But disappointing first year. The other one is at Villanova, where Kyle Neptune inherits Jay Wright's program, and they're not going to go to the tournament as of right now, having a disappointing season. I'm just saying, keep an eye on those two programs. And the Villanova situation, to me, is another testament. Jay Wright might just be the best coach of our generation. When we really look back and look at what he did at Villanova, winning multiple national titles and the Final Fours he went to, I mean... If he wanted to get back into coaching next year, oh, hand, hand over the check. If you're NBA or college, that dude can coach. And I think he Are can you? coach at either level. Should we float out a name right now? Kentucky. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my I mean, gosh. let's just go ahead and tie the brand with the coach. Well, I'll give you another one. Texas. There you go. If John Calipari yeah. doesn't take the Texas job, likes being, I mean, I don't think he's going to do that. He seems like a pretty embedded Northeastern guy. He still works for the Villanova Athletic Department. Yeah. I know, but it's incredible what he was able to accomplish at Villanova. And that drop off we're seeing from him to the new guy, not fair to Kyle Neptune. It's not even been a full season and what he's inheriting. But I looked up and saw their record. I saw they were in a dogfight with Georgetown, who at the time had yet to win a Big East game on uh, Martin Luther King Day during their game. And I'm thinking, what happened to Villanova almost overnight when Jay Wright left? And part of it with Jay Wright could be NIL, you know, the transfer I think portal, he all that. Just a lot of coaches, it's pushed them out. Be on, the look, be on the lookout for the NBA if he doesn't that, want to mess with that in the college game. That too. Hit us up on social at Outkick360 throughout the show. You can join Chad in the chat on YouTube. Hope you'll subscribe while you're there. Uh, it, just search out Outkick360. Coming up... Great storyline for the Super Bowl, the Kelsey brothers, Travis and Jason, facing off as the Chiefs kick off against the Eagles a week from Sunday. The brothers, though, on the podcast, they're already tired about the storylines and they're warning fans, they're asking fans not to do one big thing, at least from the Chiefs' perspective. That's next on OutKick360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We're live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine Hutton Withrow with you. The Kelsey brothers facing off the first brothers group, the first tandem, the duo, <laughs> to face off in a Super Bowl as players. Of course, we've seen this from the coaching perspective when the Ravens faced off against the 49ers in New Orleans, the Harbaugh Bowl. Now it's the Kelsey Bowl. And there is a big thing that Travis Kelsey is asking Kansas City fans not to do over the next 10 days or so. I am convinced that there is a Philadelphia fan who is putting these shirts on the Rocky statue just to get everybody all fired up. And it's working. It's working tremendously. (laughs) So keep doing it. I guarantee it. There's no way. Because this happened every single game. The Giants did it. That's sick. 49ers did it. There'll probably be a Chiefs jersey on it this week. No way. Um, No way. Right now, Chiefs do not touch the Rocky <laughs> Memorial, okay? Do not do that, all right? Definitely don't put an 87 on there, all right? Do not do that. Travis and Jason Kelsey on the New Heights show, uh, having some fun with it. They go on to say, Chad... So uh, talking about putting the jersey on a statue? Yeah, because the Giants, we, we've seen it so far with, with the Giants, Giants and, and the 49ers, 49ers yeah. on the Rocky statue, and we've seen how those games have turned out. Not well. So Travis doesn't want the... Uh, you know, the superstition. You and I are not superstitious when it comes to this. Well, hey, Travis Kelsey would know because he got awfully fired up about Burrowhead. So he doesn't want to provide that level of fodder uh, for for his fans to do that for the Eagles also. So I guess that's part of it. Yeah. Well, they, both both guys are already tired of the Kelsey Bowl talk. They said, hey, it's fun, but this is <laughs> we're more about the game than we are talking about. And uh, Jason was like, this is going to be the longest week because all we're going to do is be asked about this, facing off against each other. I think it's a lot easier given that their units don't go head-to-head. I've always thought about this. Yeah. Like, I, I've, got, you know, I've got four brothers and sisters, but you think about a sibling rivalry or uh, I was really close in age with my first cousin who's a year and a half older than me. And every time we played one-on-one basketball or played baseball in the backyard, it always hurt worse to lose to someone related to you and close to you. And you up your game a lot more when that happened. Now imagine amplifying that to a Super Bowl level when you're both at the top of your sport. And now imagine if you went head-to-head. Imagine if we had a receiver and a corner and that was the matchup, as an example. 
where it is mano mano. Mike Diggs. Or linebacker, running back, or, you know, rush end and quarterback, or whatever it may be. That is, this sounds corny to some people who, you know, don't get that competitive, like a lot of people will. That's almost painful to think about. That, that hurts me to my core to think about losing to my brother in a one-on-one scenario in that setting. Uh, this is a way to relate it to you if, if you don't understand it with the football. A league of their own. The plot in mm. that. Dottie and Kit in the end. And when she drops the ball, when she gets plowed over at the plate, I'm thinking that's painful for me to watch. And it's painful when Kit is crying after giving up the home run to Dottie because she can never beat her big sister and she's losing the Women's World Series because of that. We all have those moments to relate, but I think because the Kelsey brothers don't go head-to-head in terms of their, their units on the field at the same time, I think makes it a little bit more palatable for the loser of this game to lose to your brother. So uh, the, the, I tend to agree I still think the winner is going to be thinking about the loser having to deal with the loss. Yeah. Uh, but both of these guys have had so much success. That's the other thing. Like, there's not one guy trying to crack the code and the other one has had, you know, domination throughout his career, right? Like, it, it, it's not like uh, one guy is a special teams player who's yeah. got an opportunity in week 14 and remains on the roster, right? It's a, it's a bit different It's not in Dottie that and Kit. Right, exactly. Where Dottie feels bad because she's won in everything against her her whole life, and she sees the pain it's taken on the little sister. We've got the details of their accomplishments, I believe, um, and the the head to head matchup with what they've done with the Pro Bowls, the All Pros, the Super Bowl rings, uh, Travis versus Jason is pretty tight uh, because you've got six Pro Bowls for Jason Kelsey compared to eight for for Travis, and again I, the Pro Bowls. The larger number is going to go on top, but it's a flag football game now. Let's drop it down a notch. All pro, NFL all pro. Four for Travis Kelsey, five for Jason Kelsey, and each have a Super Bowl ring. So this head-to-head matchup yeah. doesn't change all that much in the, uh, in the jewelry case in terms of career accomplishment for each other. That's the silver lining in this. Congratulations on being successful, Kelsey's. Yeah, both are going to be okay, <laughs> yes. is what you're saying. Ultimately, with their career and what they've accomplished, both will be okay. There's a petition to get their mom to do the coin toss. And I'm with you. The winning, the winning team, the mm-hmm. winning guy, the winning brother, he's immediately rushing to find no doubt. the other brother. Yes, That's the first thing is to go and console uh, the other brother on the other sideline. I, I do think that's going to happen also. But again, I, I just think that it makes it a little bit easier that they're not going head-to-head with their groups on the field at the same time. Crazy also, just the athletic background of both these guys. Yeah. Travis Kelsey was a high school quarterback in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Um, went to Cincinnati to play with his big brother. Jason was a high school running back, a star high school running back, who goes to Cincinnati to be a walk-on fullback who is then told to put on weight and become an offensive lineman and then becomes an all-pro center in the NFL. And then we know Travis Kelsey's story. He's not a quarterback. He's one of the best tight ends maybe of all time with what he's done in Kansas City. Pretty remarkable background. But I think it also, Hutton, it illustrates the level of athleticism with both these guys. Regardless of position, you don't always look at a center and think, oh, that's a great athlete. Jason Kelsey is a great athlete. Oh, yeah. 
And you don't in college, you weren't thinking like, oh, this is a no-brainer pick either, you know, because of their trajectory and their path to the league, and both are at the top of their position, at the top of their game. Uh, Derek Carr is saying that he's not going to extend the contract trigger date, uh, which will lock him in and and what would be a forty million dollar guarantee uh, with bonuses and everything else that he's due, based on what should kick in contractually. The Raiders sent him home, more or less, the final two games of the season. And part of that is due to there's a clause where he's got to be able to pass a physical because if he couldn't pass a physical by this date, he was going to be guaranteed certain money and more money than what he was going to count against the cap. There has been some speculation that Carr, who is scheduled to play in this flag football game, if you don't want him hurt, or if you want to save the money by do, himself, do you just cut him? You know, that's the other. I don't think they're doing that. However, they are not allowing him or his agent to talk to other teams for trades. They're not approving that yet. So I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes between the Raiders and Carr. It's a weird, weird deal for sure. Um, it's. Uh, I, I think we have uh, a clip of him also with some fun self-deprecating moment from the Pro Bowl. Are we getting to that here or later? Oh, we can do that. Yeah. So the the tw- the tweet you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Here is uh, a car with, with the joke during the Pro Bowl games. By himself. Listen, Derek. You've thrown touchdown passes in Vegas before. You've been on fire. Have you ever been that hot in Las Vegas? Not that hot. It's uh, probably why I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Bro, well, if this was your. Hutton, I wanted to set that up only because. Um, that answer mm-hmm. is probably why we're getting the weird, <laughs> the weird departure from Vegas with Derek Carr. I mean, he knows that while he was good at times, wasn't good enough, and now we have this weird offseason where he's headed elsewhere. But now without Tom Brady, it's the ultimate guessing game. As the we're going to be talking about, we're going to be in Arizona talking about the Super Bowl all next week. But after that, it's going to be where is every quarterback going to end up this offseason? Is Texas and Oklahoma going to end up in the SEC by 2024? Nope. Doesn't look like it. So, speaking of money, right? You don't want a car to get hurt, so they send him home to save the money. If you're the Big 12, why would you not negotiate this, this contract that's locked in in order to allow Texas and Oklahoma to leave so you can get punt- something in return instead of them just walking the way Kyrie Irving wants to walk at the end of the season because he's a free agent. That's why you would make a trade if you're the Nets, and that's why Irving is telling the Nets, trade me. I don't know why the Big 12 won't allow this to happen where you join an, er, a year early, get some money in return, and then I think contractually from the, from the media rights perspective, ESPN and Fox have the Big 12 under contract through 2024 going into 25. If it's Texas and Oklahoma playing, why wouldn't the SEC, who's already partnered with ESPN, look at Fox and say, hey, you're going to have the rights to Texas and Oklahoma, a certain package of games. So you're still getting that game. And we're getting Texas and Oklahoma a year early, and the Big 12's getting something in return as well. I think that's part of when it says complex negotiations. I think that's a big part of the complexity is television networks involved in all the dealings that are going on. So that's, that's probably... What you're hinting at is true. I think a lot of it is deals with the various television networks to make this thing happen quicker. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, 
if they leave and go in in 2025 as previously arranged, right. and they don't bump it up a year early, the Big 12 gets nothing? Or does it just go down well, a lot in terms of what they That's when the media rights deal is up, which seems to be the whole So up, they get right? nothing then, right? That's when the SC... I believe so, yeah. So I would want to get something that's, as opposed to that's nothing. That's how I view this. Yeah, I, me too. So I don't know why you would hold it up. I, if, if it's the SEC walking away and saying, you're being stubborn and ridiculous, let's come up with something different than what they're asking for, then they walk away from it. I, I think that it's on the Big 12 to come back and say, oh, okay, hold on, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't walk away from the table yet. What if we did this, this, and this? And then you eventually come up with an agreement. If I'm the Big 12, I want to get paid for this. I want to get paid for this you know, supposed injustice that Texas and Oklahoma have put upon your conference yeah. instead of them just walking at the end of the media rights deal and going right over to the SEC and helping make a ton of money for another conference. So it's on Brett Yormark to come up with the plan to get something in return. And the other part of this is it's just awkward. No, no one wants to be there. Oklahoma and Texas don't want to – looking at the Big 12 schedule, they don't care about playing their games against UCF and Houston and BYU and being a part of the charade for a couple years. They don't want to do it for one year, much less two. They'd be in the SEC now if they could. So why right. extend this level of purgatory out another calendar year? Makes no sense. Yeah, and I mean they've they've released their schedule. Both conferences have for the upcoming season, of course. But the you've got the Big Twelve that's released the schedule for the inclusion of the four new programs that are coming in: BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati joining the league. And uh, the conference realignment here: every existing member of the Big Twelve will play two of the four new additions. That includes Oklahoma hosting Dylan Gabriel's former team in UCF. And Houston begins Big 12 play against TCU on September the 16th. And they get from 10 to 14 this upcoming season, and then they'll settle at 12. But I still think there's a way, Chad, to maneuver this. And I I know it's complex. But the back and forth seesaw where you're initially, it's like the Big 12 is not going to let them out early. Definitive. They're not coming out early. And then last fall, it was we could see them in as early as 2024. Right, there was some talk of that, and now Pete Thamel's back saying it's very unlikely. Right, and, and I'm trying to figure out where the definitive nature of these reports, all three of them, um, trustworthy, and it's not like people are denying it. But the talks behind the scenes, there's got to be some hurdle that's extremely difficult that the SEC can't negotiate because of what the Big 12's wanting. The SEC, once again, is in the position of power in this negotiation because... There's a deadline. They've already got them Yeah. also. And they can just say, what's it to us to wait another year? We've got a lucrative TV deal. We are basically... I mean, ESPN now is the SEC network. They're not worried about that. So, you know, what's it to us? Yeah, we'd like to get them a year early if we can. But if not, we'll just wait out a year, not pay a dime uh, to you guys, and then get them a year later. So... It's on the Big 12 to play ball more than the SEC if they want this to happen, to get something in return. And I can understand Greg Sankey just sitting back and saying, not our problem if it's awkward in your conference. Not our problem if you want to be unreasonable and make these demands and that we're not going to meet them right now. We'll just wait a year if we have to. But it's not going to be what the Big 12 wants ultimately in terms of everything they want in this negotiation. They're going to have to give a lot. 
But in doing that, they're going to get a heck of a lot more than they would otherwise by just letting them walk after a year. I'm selfish enough to want Manning in the SEC for the duration. That's why I want a, a year early. I mean, who doesn't want to see Arch Manning in Texas go to Oxford, Mississippi yeah. and face Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss in a game before his career's over? I mean, I like that better than, you know, Texas going on the road against BYU. Yeah. I think it's BYU, but... Hey, many years ago, we got to see Peyton Manning in, at Tennessee go to Oxford and play Ole Miss, you know, where his dad was a star at one point in his career. I think it'd be uh, terrific to see those matchups. What would be the uh, coaching matchup whenever a team either visits or hosts the Indianapolis Colts? We'll try to put perspective on this, which is very difficult based on uh, the owner, uh, Jim Ursay, who's involved reportedly in 12-hour third-round interviews. What are the questions like in that? That's Snacks and Outkick 360. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. It's Ursay's call. Jim Ursay can name Jeff Saturday the head coach. Reports are out that that's the way they're leaning. They've been leaning that way since they made the move, and then Jeff Saturday was hired to be the interim. Welcome back, Outkick 360. 12-hour uh, interviews in some cases for the third round, uh, and there may be a, another session. Who knows with the way this is headed, but... Chad, if it's Jeff Saturday, why don't they go ahead and just do it? If it's Jeff Saturday, it's because he has the right answer to Ursay's question of what was your favorite Fleetwood Mac album? And if you say Tusk and not Rumors, then you are correct and you advance to the 11th hour of interview number three and that can <laughs> finally land you the job. Yeah. Um, if it is Jeff Saturday, I mean, it, I, I, I don't know what to tell Colts fans other than you've got a guy who appears to have lost it a bit running your team. And I'm not saying he doesn't have his mental faculties. I'm saying that he is running amok, mm -hmm. that he has just opted into this, I'm right, you're wrong. I don't care if everyone, if every bit of evidence says, probably shouldn't have hired this guy to be an NFL head coach, didn't work out with him in the interim. I really like him and think he's going to succeed. So now I'm going to be the one to give him another shot. There's nothing you can do about it because he's the owner. So I don't know what to tell Colts fans if that's the case. Well, it's not good. He's, you know, Bob Ursay was known for being very, um, I won't say short-tempered, but he quick-triggered, right? He fired Howard Schnellenberger a month into the season when they first brought him in. Uh, meanwhile, Jim Ursay, his son, who now owns the team, of course, he's been much more patient. Now, some of that is due to having solid coaching, and solid quarterback play, and you're allowed to do that. But with Reich and with Ballard, I mean, they had the meeting in January of last year after that season where they lost that winning end game against Jacksonville. They all came back, had the heart-to-heart -heart come to Jesus meeting. Turns out Wentz was the one that was out, and they got decent uh, payment in return for Wentz from Washington, which bailed them out. They then go get Matt Ryan. They've been more aggressive in that angle than they have the coaching angle so this whole aspect of the Saturday movement is a bit strange.
But it's not strange because it's Jim Irsay who's quirky, and that's me being polite there. Like, it's just, you never know what the guy's thinking. Yeah, and I'm not going to be hypocritical because I love um, the story of an owner who's going to say things, Mm -hmm. and Jim Irsay will do that. Example, I love the way he handled the fallout from that falling flat on their face in Jacksonville performance where it was just a very muted response from everyone from Frank Reich to Carson Wentz. And the one guy who was standing up and seemingly trying to hold people accountable was the owner and Jim Irsay, who re, you know reacted with a strong statement about the game and the way it pained him and made him feel that you weren't really getting from the quarterback leader of the team or the head coach. I liked that Jim Irsay, but the flip side of always speaking your mind and talking and doing oh, what you want is right. this. Well, and then Jeff, Jeff Saturday was outside the box as an interim guy. Okay, whatever. He's an interim guy. Didn't work out. You can easily move on. But now that we're in the round three of the finalist. interviews, we're not moving on here. Right. We're, we're sticking with the whole Jeff Saturday thing, and that is not good news for Colts fans. Well, so he, he had the tweet where he sent out the, the message to Colts fans where he says, look, I, I feel you. I want to win. I hate losing. We're going to get back to that. And, you know, he's not going to settle. But at the same time, this whole saga has been set up where if he hires Saturday, it's, well, it was a foregone conclusion in November. And if he doesn't, the group that he's picking from isn't the cream of the crop coaching list that all the teams have gone out and found, right? Yeah. So it ends up being a first-time head coach, which isn't a, a, a bad thing. Look across the league at what the Bengals have done, for instance, or what what Pittsburgh has done in their history of hiring great coaches, young up-and-comers who stay in that job because they're excellent at what they do. They identify the young guys. This doesn't seem to be that. This seems to be confusion where Ballard is wanting one thing and he's trying to go about it his way and he's got the owner who's bringing along Jeff Saturday. And they still got to put together a staff. Well, if it's not Jeff Saturday, I think you're right. You know, if Mike Kafka doesn't get a job, maybe it lands to that, but that seems a lot more sane right now. Yeah, it does. Than the Jeff Saturday solution. It does. Um, Speaking of coaching searches, Notre Dame has one now for OC. That's next.